This show was only for mature audiences. Sometimes you never realize the value of a moment until it becomes a memory. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Creep Cottage. It's me, Oliver. And it's me, <laughs> Kit. What's up? Not much. Let's go. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, welcome back to Creep Cottage, everybody. My creeps, freaks, and insomniacs. My my fellow horror fans. Do you have a favorite creeps, freaks, or the insomniacs? Well, I'm an insomniac, so I probably have... Bias. Bias towards that, <laughs> towards that deep end there. Huh, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so today we're following our theme of true crime, of course, and uh, got a lot of good stories for you today. We don't have any announcements or anything like that, so it's pretty much cut and dry. We're just going to jump in today, basically. Um, right before, though, we would like to say that our hearts go out to the victims' families and our stories we do not wish to focus on the suffering and pain endured, but on the joy of catching these murderers and worse. We wish to study the methodologies and forensics behind the crimes themselves, bringing the truth to the light. So, I have three stories. What? How many do you have? I've got three, too. Okay. One. <laughs> uh, if you guys are new here, it's pretty simple. I have a couple stories that she doesn't know I prepped. Uh, same here. I, I have stories that he doesn't know that I prepped. And then I I just kind of try to scare her with what I found. Yeah, I'm still trying to make him shit his pants. I don't know if it's working or not. I have completely shat now. Have you planned shat, though? <laughs> <laughs> I'm planned chatting my pants. Fair enough. Sorry, guys. It was time to be real. And I thought it was a rare opportunity for us to take some pictures of us podcasting. Eee, what is that? I look disgusting. <laughs> Why? You couldn't give me a heads up. I look disgusting. You look fine. <laughs> look, Show me yours. <laughs> but this was on purpose. Oh, me. See? I look hideous. Yeah, but that was also on purpose. Okay, anyway. So, uh, it is now time to <laughs> try and scare each other. Yeah! Yeah. Yeah! Oh, I do want to say, though, the uh, Meth Man one, that one did scare me. Did it? It, it did get me. I, have, I got to you? I had a nightmare about Meth Man. You did? I did. So. Yes! I got to you. <laughs> I just, I can't. It's just so creepy. Like, you never know if someone, right now, there could be someone right outside our window taking Polaroid pictures of me, and I have no idea. For two years. Yeah, that's true. For two years. It is so possibly creepy. Possibly over two years. So, yeah. You got me. Hells yeah. I got you. Uh, so, I have three stories, like I said. How many do you also have three, you said? Yeah. So, okay. what are yours called, mister? Uh, so, my first story is called The Duality of Trauma. All right. Yep. Uh, this one has no trigger warnings whatsoever. It's super kind of actually like a happy story if anything a true crime story that's happy yeah oh my god what a rare sight yeah exactly my second story there is mention of suicide and murder so just be careful of that and this is called the last survivor then my last story is going to be the worst of all it is another serial killer and this has mentions of rape murder and sexual abuse oh god all right and uh, just for you guys at home, 
We, if you guys have any problems with any of those categories, we do have a trigger warning at the beginning of each and every story. So if you want to bail out right then and there and just worry and just focus about the other stories, you can totally do that. So what do you got? All right. That's so cool. Shut your mouth. <laughs> okay. Sorry. As previously stated, I have three stories too. So this first story has um, the mention of abuse and uh, mention of suicide. And this one is called Divorcee of Death. Interesting. I couldn't think of a better name, okay? Well, I'm not saying it's a bad title. I'm already intrigued. All right. Uh, Our second story, it's more on the graphic side when uh, the murder is talked about, but it's, it's not... I don't talk about it a lot. It's more about the person itself. Gotcha. So brief themself. mentions of murder. Yeah, brief mentions of murder. This one is called Nursery Rhyme of Dread. And then the last one, it talks about suicide, and it's also just sad in general. <laughs> uh, the ending might make you angry. And this God one is called The Catfish in the Gap. I gotta say, you got some good titles. I'm excited to see what happens, but I'm also already kind of mad that you chose a story that's gonna make me mad because we were already furious last episode. <laughs> <laughs> What's your face? Something Puente? Yeah, Puentes or Puentes. Puento, something like that. Dor- Dorothy Puento. Something Dorothy, whatever <laughs> her name is. But also the, uh, well, Dorothy. I guess. We were talking last episode that most of my stories were angering. Yeah. I think only one of mine was angering last time. And it was the... The girls that only got like 25 years in prison. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that we got pissed at. On... From my stories, at least. Yeah. We need a... We need a... We need a new government. <laughs> we do. I went first last time, I believe. Yes, you did. So do you want to go first? Yes. Okay. All right. This is pretty scary. I know. I think you got me again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're starting with Divorcee of Death. Trigger warning again. Uh, Suicide. It's sad and also mention of abuse. On December 21st of last year, 2022... Tasha Height served her husband, Michael Height, divorce papers. Let's just say he didn't take that too well. Eleven days before, authorities opened an investigation into the family based on allegations of abuse involving Height, uh, the Height's eldest daughter. Michael allegedly threw his seven-year-old son, Eamon, against the ground in a fit of rage. Tasha told the authorities that if she left him, Michael threatened to make her life hell. He wasn't lying. Four days after being served the papers, Michael shot his daughters, Marcy, Briley, and Sienna, and sons, Eamon and Gavin, along with his wife, Tasha, and mother-in-law, Gail Early. Afterward, he turned the gun on himself. This is nonsense, and I can't handle it for one more day. We will not be a burden on society. I kept asking for help, and you wouldn't listen. I would rather rot in hell than put up with another day of this manipulation and control over me. This took place in Enoch City, Utah. The police discovered their bodies when they went to go check on Tasha when she didn't arrive for an appointment with someone. It has not been disclosed the kind of gun that Michael used. Neighbors described Enoch City as a tight-knit community with many children, 
where homes rarely go up for sale. The neighborhood where the police found the victims is often filled with children playing and neighbors who wave hello and volunteer to help one another shovel the snow. Well, Enoch is only like, it's not even three hours south from here. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah. So that's pretty weird already. Like, I don't like that it's so close. But also, yeah, I hope you do rot in hell, you sick fuck. Yeah, exactly. I was, um... I was doing some of this research on the couch yesterday uh, with our mom in the room, and I was telling her about this this murder-suicide case, and she's like, when did this happen? I was like, late last year, and she's like, how did we not hear about this? I'm like, I don't know. We don't listen to local news. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when's the last still. time you were, like, searching the news or listening to a radio? Yeah. It's not but, super often anymore. Yeah. Anyways, but still, it's it's a very what-the-fuck case. It is. Like, <laughs> I want a divorce. What? I'm just going to have to kill us all, then. Yeah, I don't understand this guy's thinking. If you leave me, I'm going to make your life hell. But, you know, I'm taking you with me. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I don't know. You seem to be so in love with this woman that if she does leave, you're going to, like make her life miserable but then you're like you're Which is already contradictory might i say yeah i love you so much please don't leave me or i'll make your life a living hell like yeah okay also he mentioned in his suicide note about being manipulated yeah so you're telling me you want to stay with the woman that allegedly manipulated you but then you decided to be like no instead of like making you suffer i'm killing you our kids and your mom i just i can't really wrap my head around that for a couple of reasons i mean i am a divorcee okay? yeah so i know how much pain a person can go through right and uh, i mean i don't wish that my ex-wife just drops dead right like not every day at least <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I don't, like, think about it that much. Like, it's over with, it's fine. But also, I didn't, like, go to her friends and be like, you did this. <laughs> or, like, right. if we had kids, I'd be like, Shmonathan, I know I know you put your mother up to this. Who the fuck is Shmonathan? My, my, <laughs> my imaginary child. And then there's the other part of this, is that I am seeing someone right now who has a kid. Right. And I love them both very much. And, like, let's say we break up or something. I wouldn't just, like, blame the kid and be like, this is, I'm so tired of this nonsense. Yeah, I don't know what vendetta he had against his kids. Yeah, exactly. It's no one's fault. It's you and the spouse. Like, don't blame other people for your problems. Exactly. And don't don't punish people for your problems. Right. So, So, yeah, he better land in hell and stay there. His kids... His kids better be, like, sitting in a snowbank in heaven, just throwing snowballs at this stupid little shithead. Yeah. It would probably be water balloons by the time they hit him, though. <laughs> probably gas. Maybe just rocks. Just rocks. They're yeah. just throwing rocks at their dad, like, you fucking killed me, man. Yeah, you son of a bitch. You threw <laughs> aiming against the floor. Rocks. <laughs> rocks to the head. What if? And the dick. 
what if his hell is that he's stuck in a in a giant spinning cube and he's just constantly slamming into the floor. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> he just never ends. Yes. That is this guy's hell. And then there's also an audio of endless loop of things his wife has told him about why he's such a miserable sack of a human being. Yes. That is this guy's hell. Hell yes. Fun <laughs> fully intended. Just don't be a stupid little dick fuck and then you won't <laughs> have this happen to you. But this guy decided to be and this is what happens. You're mm. stuck in a cube. <laughs> With endless uh, just loops of your wife's of your wife just calling you a bitch. I also hope that he's listening in slow motion to his wife saying, I want to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the audio switches up. Like, after an hour of, like, you're a bitch, you're a bitch, you're a bitch. Then it's like, I want a divorce. I want a divorce. I want a divorce. <laughs> da, 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 da. Just Rick rolls him halfway through the audio recording. Yes. Make him suffer in so many ways possible. They just play a bunch of like romance music because he's just stuck in a room by himself for the rest of the Romantic his life. music behind the you're a bitch. I want to get a divorce. <laughs> I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. <laughs> I would catch a grenade for you. I want a divorce. I God want a divorce. I want a divorce. <laughs> They just remix all of her audio. Yes. I want a divorce. It's like rave music while he's just jumping around this cube. <laughs> you know what they call him down there? The anti-hamster. <laughs> okay. I think we've roasted homeboy long enough, but he definitely he deserves He can't that. be homeboy. No. We roasted fuck dick boy. fuck. Yeah, dick we roasted fuck. dick fuck long enough. I want a divorce. Okay, this next story is extremely weird. I have yet I'm to, excited. Yeah, so this is called the duality of trauma. So last year, in June, a three-year-old boy named Riker Webb went missing in the Montana wilderness. He was playing with his family's dog outside when he suddenly disappeared, and authorities were called to create a rescue party. Is this the red-headed kid? No. The search parties had to fall back after rumors of wild animals in the area, such as mountain lions, and also because the weather was far too cold, there was rain, and it was low visibility. However, two days after his disappearance, a family heard whimpering inside of their shed where they keep their generator, and they found Riker hiding inside. He was found over two miles away from his last known location, but healthy. He was cold, hungry, and thirsty, but he survived alone for 48 hours on his own by some miracle. His survival still stumps many, wondering how he made it out without food, water, or shelter, or even how he avoided the dangerous wildlife around him. The reason he disappeared still remains a mystery, most claiming he just went for a walk by himself and got lost. All we know is that he is home safe and sound and with his family. So the reason I call this the uh, duality of trauma is because I found these pictures of before and after of Riker, and it's pretty terrifying. He was only gone for 48 hours, but it is so obvious to see how much trauma can affect an individual even physically. So I'm gonna post that picture up on Instagram and it is it is really crazy. Like the difference between before he was missing and then when they found him. Yeah, he, ah, crap. I'm trying to remember. How, how far did he travel from? Two miles. Two miles. <laughs> it is pretty weird. He just took a two mile walk and he's like, I'm tired. Sits in a generator room. Hmm, I hope someone finds me. 
<laughs> like, I hope it wasn't some kidnapper who's just like, whoops, they're on to me, and then just dumps him at some dude's backyard. Yeah. But I think it's even more weird that this kid is just like, doggy, doggy, time for a walk, and then just leaves. Yeah. Two miles later. Oh, man, my feet are hella tired. Need a break. You mentioned the fact that he was found in different clothing, yeah? Or, I didn't, but yes, he was. He yeah, was found he was in different found clothes. Yeah, he was found in different clothes. It's, it's, like, I want to know what happened to the poor kid, but at yeah. the same time, I'm not going to traumatize a child more by asking what happened. Definitely give him some time to recover and then maybe talk about it. I wonder what he's doing now. I mean, yeah, he's still a Well, he's kid. only four. I know, but I mean, like... What is that guy up to nowadays? Producing music or something? I want a divorce. Like, I mean, is he still a social kid? Does, you know... I don't know. I did read that the police were investigating the parents for a while, though, because they're like, how did you just let him disappear like that? Like, why weren't you watching him closely? So the parents were under investigation for a while, but I don't think anything came from it. Well, yeah, that was my first story. I know it was really short, but... Yeah. I just found it really weird. Yeah, but you're right. I should have mentioned that in the story. I don't know how I forgot that detail that he was found in different clothes. But yeah. that's it. This is basically a short story. At least he's home. He's safe. That's what matters at the end, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Like I said, pretty happy, like, true-ish crime thing. Or not yeah. true-ish. True crime-ish. <laughs> true-ish crime. We, we don't know if it was a crime. He might have just walked off and, like, found some other kid's clothes at the Gap and then went for a walk in the woods. <laughs> he went all the way to Australia? No, and the back? Gap. The Gap. The store. The Gap. Oh. <laughs> he went to like, Australia and came back to Montana. What? <laughs> Why are you mentioning part of my story? Yeah, no, I meant Gap. Okay. Well, the place is literally called The Gap, Well, I'm too. talking about the store The Gap. The obvious choice of where you get clothes. I haven't heard of Gap in years. So clearly it's not that obvious. <laughs> okay, fine. You went to Five Below. Happy? <laughs> they only sell to children five years and younger. <laughs> okay. I'm ready for your next story. Trigger warning, this one's a little graphic, but um, I was going to say temporarily graphic, but I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> no, that is not the right word. Graphic in the terms of gore. When I explain what happened to the victims, that's when it gets... Ah. So, <sighs> nursery rhyme of dread. Are you familiar with... <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Are you familiar with the nursery rhyme? Lizzie Borden took an axe and oh, gave shit. her fo- Yes. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her, her mother 40 wax. Axe. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Well, no, I heard it different actually. Was it the other way around? No, it's uh gave her mother 40 wax and when the job was neatly done, she gave her father 40 41. Mm. I just had a different line in the yeah. middle there, but I know that disgusting nursery rhyme yeah, well that comes from an actual double homicide in 1892 yep lizzie borden you freak yep all right well on august 4th 1892 andrew and abby were found hacked to death in their home in fall river massachusetts andrew was discovered in a pool of his own blood in the living room with his face practically split in two abby was upstairs with her head smashed into pieces just like in the rhyme 
Abby was later found to have been killed first. The suspicion was focused on Lizzie, who was 32 and single, who lived with her wealthy father and stepmother. The only person in the home... The, the only other person in the home was their maid, Bridget Sullivan. Lizzie was arrested and charged with double homicide. As a result of how gruesome and horrible the murders were, her trial attracted national attention. Lizzie was born on July 19, 1860. Her mother died when she was a young girl and her father later remarried. Abby helped raise Lizzie and her older sister, but they despised her. When they were adults, the girls argued with their father about financial matters. Lizzie claimed to be out in the barn during the murders and later went inside to find her father dead in the living room. The evidence used in the trial against Lizzie Borden was mostly circumstantial. It was alleged that she tried to purchase poison the day prior to the murders and that she burned one of her dresses several days afterward. Now, although fingerprint testing was becoming more common in Europe, the Fall River police weren't too trusting of its reliability. What year did you say this was? Uh, 1892. Okay. Uh, they refused to test the potential murder weapon, a hatchet, for her prints. The hatchet was found in the family's basement. The jury of all males believed that Lizzie wasn't capable of a murder, especially a murder this gruesome. The fact that there wasn't any blood on Lizzie, and she was a well-bred Christian girl, also played a part in their decision. Lizzie ended up inheriting a sufficient amount of money after her father's death and proceeded to move from the murder site into a different home, where she lived until her death on June 1st, 1927. Wait, so she got away with it? She got away with it. Oh, shit. Today, the house where the Borden murders occurred is a bed and breakfast. Nast. Very. You hungry? We have leftover. Split face. <sighs> Despite her being found not guilty, there was still doubt and suspicion around Lizzie and her potential participation in committing the crime. Some stories range from the maid committing the murders to Lizzie suffering from fugue state seizures. That's what I got. <sighs> yep. I, I hate it when there's a nursery rhyme and they're like, so that actually comes from a double homicide. Yeah. That's why we tell it to children. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Why are you making it into a nursery rhyme in the first place? Yeah, that, um, there's also, like... <sighs> Ring around the rosies, like the plague. Yeah. Uh, what was London Bridge? I actually don't remember that one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the other nursery rhymes. Uh, I, I bet you Humpty Dumpty was also a murder. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I bet Humpty it was Dumpty Lizzie was Borden murder. too. <laughs> Lizzie Borden just knocking kids off of a bridge. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh, was Lizzie Borden for you? More like Lizzie Gorgon. <laughs> I'm curious as to why they didn't suspect the older sister. Um, because she hated their Was she living in the house, though? No. Maybe that's probably why. Probably. But still, she hated the stepmother just as much. She had the same problems with dad. Yeah, the financial arguments. Yeah. But was she going to gain money from the insurance as well? It didn't mention. That's a good point, though. I feel like that would make you also a suspect. Even if you're not the main suspect, it would still make you a suspect. Yeah. So after Lizzie's trial, they actually moved in together. But over uh -huh. time, they kind of just drifted apart. And then Lizzie moved out on her own. And she uh, died slowly over time due to illness. What illness? I don't know. Just illness. <laughs> The illness got her. <laughs> the illness. The one and How only. How did she die? The illness. <laughs> Which one? 
the illness. She's down with the sickness. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready for my next story? Yes. Any trigger warnings you got for us? Yes. So this one does have a mention of suicide, and there are mentions of a couple of murders. Again, this is the story about the last survivor. Imagine this. You're adrift at sea for four days, alone, waiting for someone to save you. The freezing waters, the unknown sea creatures surrounding you at all times, and the increasing lack of hope that anyone will ever find you. For 11-year-old Terry Jo Duperall, this was no mental image. This was the worst nightmare that she had to live through. How old was she? 11. 11. Damn. Fucking nightmare. In 1961, a ship named Captain Theo found poor Terry floating in the icy waters that slammed against them, somewhere near the Bahamas called the Northwest Providence Channel. They pulled her and her inflatable life raft aboard and coaxed her back to some resemblance of health. The question had to be asked of who she was and what she was doing out here all alone. It was soon revealed that she was on vacation with her family and another family, known as the Harveys, and they were out taking her father's yacht. Her mother, father, and two siblings apparently were butting heads with the guests aboard. On the fifth night, Terry Jo awoke to shouting, screaming, and stomping noises from above her room. She, quote, went upstairs to see what it was, and I saw my mother and brother lying on the floor, and there was blood everywhere, unquote. In terror... She saw the other family's father, Julian Harvey, walking towards her. She begged to know what had happened, to which he slapped her and told her to go back down below the deck. This was her father or the the No, Harvey's? the other guy's father, Julian okay. Harvey. Soon enough, water began rising in the ship that forced Terry Joe back up. She asked Harvey if the boat was sinking, to which he replied simply, yes. He jumped off the boat and swam for a dinghy that broke off of the yacht. With no other options, she grabbed a single life raft kept aboard the boat and hoped for the best. She was stuck for 84 grueling hours without food, water, or sun protection until Captain Theo rescued her. Unknown to Terry Joe, Harvey had also drowned his wife and stabbed the rest of her family to death. It is speculated that Harvey killed his wife first for her $20,000 of insurance, and sadly, Terry Joe's father witnessed the murder, making the entire ship a group of witnesses. He kept his wife's corpse as evidence of the so-called wreckage he had escaped. Harvey was found by the Coast Guard who promptly explained the news of Terry Joe being found alive. He stammered, Oh my god, why that's wonderful. The next day, he took his own life in his hotel room. Many wonder why he left the girl alive, some saying his ego, hoping he gets caught, or others just thinking he was confident enough that the sinking boat would kill her. In either case, we're just glad that she made it home safely. Jesus Christ. So, they found him, and they didn't take him into custody? No, they... I don't know. I just, I just know that he died in his hotel room. So maybe it was just the timing wasn't done yet, right? So maybe they found her, and she's, like, still in shock. And then they find him the next day, mm. and they're like, oh, you're part of the same boat as that other little girl. And then they interrogate the girl, and she's like, yeah, uh, Julian is a piece of shit and killed my whole family. And they're like, no fucking way. And then they're they're going to go get him, and then as they're going to go get him and arrest him, they find him dead in his hotel room. Yikes. That'd be my uh, assumption. Good. Yeah. It's a pretty good assumption, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, what a dumbass. Absolute idiot. 
He's like, oh, I know the perfect time and place to kill my wife. I'll drown her at sea. On, a on vacation. vacation with my my friends. So stupid. Again, another murder with no purpose. Well, I mean, he just wanted money out of it, which is always a really stupid reason to kill. Then divorce. You don't get money out of a divorce. If, if anything, you lose money with a divorce. Okay, well, fair point. Yeah, that must have been awful. Being 11 years old and stranded at sea on a stupid life raft. Yeah. Ugh. That is like that is one of my worst nightmares, being stranded at sea. Yeah. I think it's pretty funny though. They he washed up on shore and like, dude, you're the same guy. Yeah, guess what? Uh Terry Joe also survived. He's like, ha, huh, that is the coolest. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's my story about the last survivor. Good story. It's sad, but It's sad, but at least a guy fucking died. I hope he's in hell with heights. <laughs> They're both, They're in, both in the cube. Both of their wives. You're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. I want a divorce. <laughs> I want a divorce. I want a divorce. I want a divorce. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your next story. The catfish in the gap. <laughs> I'm so curious. The story's really sad when you hear it. Um, No trigger warnings for the story. It's just sad. Okay. So we have the catfish and the gap. Be aware this one is on the longer side, so uh, bear with me. In Sydney, Australia, a girl named Renee Marsden lived with her parents, Mark and Teresa, along with three siblings. Renee and her mother were more like best friends than mother and daughter because of their close age difference. People described her as someone who lit up the room with a single smile and had an infectious laugh. She was bubbly and affectionate and always put the ones she loved first. In 2010, when Renee was 18, she met Angus. They met at her place of work at the time. He worked up the courage to speak to her and asked her out. They were described to be deeply in love with one another and inseparable. They went as far as to talk about their future, getting married, having kids, getting a house, etc. Angus and Renee were together for two years before she abruptly ended it. She had received a text message from her beloved boyfriend stating he was just using her and would cheat on her. Renee was understandably devastated after all she had been through with Angus. Eventually, she met a boy named Brayden Spiteri. He was supposedly her best friend's ex-boyfriend. Camilla, her friend, said she was totally fine with the two of them getting together if they so wished. From then on, they texted almost every day. Brayden claimed to be 23, that he attended a prestigious school, and that his family owned a construction company. When Renee told her family about this Brayden character, her mother wasn't so sure about this. However, she was just happy that her daughter was happy. Even though she had been chatting with Brayden for a while, she never met him in person before. Every time she asked to meet up, he always had a convenient excuse as to why he couldn't make it. From then on, their relationship remained long distance. In January, Renee and her family went on a two-week cruise. She said it was a lot of fun, but when they returned, she went right back to her phone and talked with Brayden. The following week of her return, Camilla told Renee that Brayden and his friend Ronnie were in a motor vehicle accident. Ronnie had died and Brayden was arrested. He was going to Golden Prison and wouldn't have visitation rights for the two years he would be there. If you ask me, that's like the first red flag. He's only going away for two years for a motor vehicle accident that killed someone. This is Australia, so who knows? That's true. Do you think that their prisons are down under? No. I think they're... (laughs) 
Like the Disney jail? I think they're up, up, and away. (laughs) Even though Brandon was supposedly in prison, he was still in contact with Renee. He was given a phone. While he was in prison, he still got to know the Marsden family. Her family, though, her family, though, was concerned as they spotted many red flags, but they were still happy for their daughter. During this time, Renee became closer to Camilla once again. Teresa claimed Camilla to be very obsessive and possessive. Teresa even found love letters from Camilla to her daughter. Renee's cousin stated that Camilla was so obsessive that she didn't allow Renee to be friends with anyone else and that she needed to know where she was at all times. Her family decided to give her a second chance after she joined her mother's soccer team. On New Year's Eve of 2012, Renee went out drinking with her cousin and took some photos. She sent said photos to Brayden, but he called her a tart and that she would probably cheat on him. Angus texted her that night and Renee told Camilla about it. She scolded her and said, how could you do that to Brayden? Brayden became upset as well. Stephanie, Renee's cousin, told her to stop responding, as it would dampen their evening. Over the course of the next few months, Brayden and Renee were talking about getting married when he was released. They even started to prepare for it. At the same time, Renee was trying to cut Camilla out of her life as she was beginning to see the red flags, such as belittling belittling her and getting upset with her over the smallest things. On August 5th, 2013, Teresa got a text from Brayden saying, quote, sort your daughter out, threatening to kill herself, unquote. She was worried about this sudden out of the blue text and went to check on Renee, who had recently returned home from work. Renee simply told her mother that their relationship was over and she wasn't going to hurt herself. She was actually planning to go out with some work friends. Later that night, Teresa got a text from Renee saying, please forgive me. Between the earlier text from Brayden and this one from her daughter, she was worried. She tried to call her, but there was no answer. After receiving no answer, Teresa called Camilla and asked if she had heard from Renee recently. Camilla had indeed heard from her. Renee told her that she loved her and that she was sorry. Camilla said she would go and help Teresa look for her daughter. They drove past the McDonald's and by a house that Camilla explained to be Brayden's sister's place. However, Renee's car was nowhere to be seen, so they returned home. Around 9, 9.30 p.m. that same evening, police arrived at the Marsden residence. They told Mark and Teresa Marsden that Renee's car was found at Watson's Bay, were commonly known as The Gap. The Gap was a place where people usually Bought went- clothes. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. She crashed her car into a store. <sighs> you piece of shit. <laughs> I knew we had to flip it now that we were here. <laughs> <laughs> the Gap was a place where people usually went to take their own lives. Mark and Teresa were heartbroken and drove to Watson's Bay where they found a pair of black flats. Since this was an active crime scene, they sectioned off the area and told the Martins to return home. Many family members went to comfort the grieving parents. Camilla also went along. Camilla asked Stephanie if she thought that Renee had actually jumped. She said that she wasn't sure, but when Stephanie asked Camilla the same question, she responded saying she didn't believe she had actually done it and that Renee was just an attention seeker. When Stephanie asked Camilla to see the last text Renee had sent her, she claimed that she had accidentally deleted it. This bitch. This This bitch. 
The police didn't find anything, but they did find CCTV footage of Renee just before she died. Renee walked down the path, jumped the fence, peeked over the ledge, and looked at her phone. She sent three final messages, one to her mom, Camilla, and Brayden. It's believed Renee threw her phone in the water, and then she disappeared from the video. I'll try to find the put- uh, I'll try to find the footage and we'll post it on her Instagram for this episode. The police ruled her death as a suicide, but the family looked into why she killed herself. All roads led back to Brayden and Camilla. Mark managed to get Camilla and Brayden's cell phone records. He learned that Breda and Camilla were one and the same person. They looked into the prison and figured that Brayden wasn't in the Goldborn prison because he didn't exist. Mark sent all of this information to the police and they came to the same conclusion. One of Renee's former co-workers said that on the afternoon of the day of her death, she received a text. The message said, quote, I think I need a break and so do you. Unquote. Her co-worker said that she was crying and shaking. At 2.44 p.m., Renee called the prison and discovered that Brayden never existed. Police searched Camilla's home and found several phones, but none of them were the Brayden phone. However, they did find a photo of the man Camilla claimed to be Brayden. His real name was Carson. He didn't even know Camilla or Renee. He was just a guy that they met briefly at a nightclub and took a photo with. Camilla later confessed to being Brayden, but claimed that she and Renee created him to hide their relationship. Teresa didn't believe this statement as she and Renee were extremely close and she would have accepted her daughter any way she was. Camilla wasn't charged as there are no catfishing laws in New South Wales. And her parents are uh, uh, petitioning that they make a catfishing law in Australia now because of what happened. So the lady's just got free, Camilla? This fucking bitch. This fucking bitch. So it's believed that she committed suicide because they broke up. Yeah, and just someone that she thought she could trust betrayed her for over two years. Right, because then she found out it was fake. Yeah, found out it was all fake and just, I don't know. This fucking bitch. bitch. <laughs> That's really all I have to say about Camilla. You know what they probably did to her in hell? <laughs> <laughs> they what? branded the name Brayden all over her body. Yes! Like with a with an iron? Yeah. Hell. Yes. Yeah. They branded the name Brayden all over her. Yes. That's what fucking happens, man. Well. I bonked the microphone. For my oh, final no. story, uh, this is the Hangman. Again, this is going to be the most graphic of all my stories. We're talking about another serial killer. This has mentions of rape, murder, and sexual abuse. So viewer discretion is advised. So, like I said, another serial killer to add to our list, I'm afraid. To be honest, if you're afraid of cops already, this story won't help much because today we're discussing Gerard John Schaefer Jr., a cop serial killer. Okay, pause. He killed cops or he was a cop? He was a cop. He was a cop, okay. Uh, he had multiple nicknames like the cop killer or the, uh, no, the killer cop, I think. Okay, that would make more sense. And then the other one was called the Hangman, which is why I named this after, but I don't really know why they called him the Hangman. But uh, as a child, I, I pulled this story off of a website that was talking about the psychology and uh, like profiling of this serial killer. So a lot of this has like confessions and things that he has stated to police. And so the first thing that we're going to discuss is what he confessed to as a child. He explained that his father never liked him, but instead favored his sister. Because of this, he wanted to be a girl and admitted 
Oh, and he admitted to oftentimes masturbating in women's underwear. Oh, all right. He used to tie himself to trees, and trying to escape would bring him exciting sexual pleasure. He grew up to be a teacher, but without more details than this next phrase, he was fired due to quote-unquote totally inappropriate behavior. He later applied for priesthood, but was denied for quote-unquote not having enough faith. This angered him enough to leave Catholicism altogether. At age 25, in 1971, he became a patrolman for law enforcement. In 1972, he abducted two teenage girls who were hitchhiking while on patrol. He threatened to rape and murder them, but was called away by the police department. So he left to answer his call and warned them that he would return soon. Both girls would luckily escape their bonds and report him to his own station. He tried to lie, saying that it was a misunderstanding and that he tried to just scare them, showing them the dangers of hitchhiking. His commanding officer didn't buy it for one second and he was fired promptly. He was also charged with false imprisonment and assault. The fuck? So, while he's waiting for trial, he's in jail, right? So two months after, he was released, and he kidnapped and murdered two other teenage girls. Susan Place, age 17, and Georgie Jessup, age 16. This was before or after he was fired? After. So he's fired, kept in jail until, you know, he's charged with a bunch of stuff. So he was released, I think, on bail or something. Hmm. Came out, killed two girls. He then went to court facing his original false imprisonment charges, to which he got away with only one year in jail. Six months after he was placed in jail, the girls' bodies were discovered. Forensic evidence pointed to the girls being tied to trees before their death, and they also seemed to be hitchhikers. The similarities were shocking and pointed directly to Schaefer. They searched his mother's home for his personal belongings and found a treasure trove of, of incriminating evidence. Journals kept of Schaefer murdering, raping, and torturing women were found, along with trophies like jewelry, IDs, and much more. It was obvious now that he had killed somewhere around 30 women. He, before the two girls. Before the two girls. He was charged once again, now with these new murders. He was found guilty and was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. Robert Stone, who led the prosecution, stated that Schaefer was the most sexually deviant person he had ever encountered, saying, quote, he made Ted Bundy look like a Boy Scout. Even Bill Haggerty, an FBI profiler who interviewed Schaefer, admitted that he was, quote, one of the sickest... If I had a list of the top five, which would include all of the serial killers I have ever interviewed throughout the country, he would definitely make the top five. Jesus Unquote. Christ. In the next 22 years, he would confess and retract numerous murders. He threatened inmates and guards alike, attracting unwanted attention. Inmates threw, threw urine and fecal matter at him, and in one instance, his room was set on fire. Oh, shit. He began writing six stories while in prison, such as Blonde on a Stick or Flies in Her Eyes, as a few examples. Ugh. One day, he was found murdered in his cell by a fellow inmate who slit his throat and stabbed him 42 times. His judge was found saying, quote, he's finally gotten the death sentence he ultimately deserved but couldn't be given, unquote. Kind of pissed that he died. Yeah, he deserved life in prison. But I'm I'm not sad that he died. I'm definitely oh, I'm not I don't sad. really care because it was a pretty brutal murder. Slit his throat and then also stabbed him forty two times. He fucking deserved that. Yeah, but if like if it was death by like the court, I'd be more upset, you know? Yeah, that's fair. But the fact that the his murder was so brutal, I don't care. He fucking he deserved it. Yeah. No yeah, I agree. I hope uh in hell he's just tied to a tree while someone stabs his back forty two times every hour. Yeah. Uh I think it is really funny though. This guy's in prison. He's like, 
Oh, you guys can't get me. <laughs> Throws shit at him. Hey. And then he just keeps getting himself in trouble because he keeps like he keeps tattletailing on other inmates. And that gets him in trouble. And he's threatening guards and the guards kind of beat his ass every once in a while, I think. Good. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. This guy's just like, well, I'm the coolest, baddest serial killer you've ever seen. And then everyone's just like peeing on him and throwing shit at him, setting his room on fire. So I'm curious as to how they came up with the connection with the the two girls, that he, his last two victims. Oh, that they were tied to trees. Right, but when did they get the information that he liked being tied to trees? I don't know, but he confessed after his arrest, I think. But what I'm saying is he tied the first hitchhikers to trees, the ones that got away. Oh! So the fact that these new girls were also tied to trees and were also hitchhikers, they're like, that sounds like my boy down at Station 6. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I guess I missed it. So, yeah, homeboy, uh, homeboy's disgusting as shit. Yep, I... Jesus, I think he might be the worst person we've talked about. Yep, so it definitely brings me pleasure, though, that he's just so stupid in prison. That, that he's he just just got himself fucking killed. Killed and shat on and pissed on and thrown around. And My question is, how the hell do you throw pee? <laughs> you would have to pee yeah, you're in sitting, your own right. hand you're just and then go, your hand. bah! Yeah, you just fling piss. <laughs> The cop is like, I'll bring you a cup if you throw it at him. Of <laughs> course. Everyone's in on it. Everyone fucking hated this guy. Just gave He was every- a creep and he was annoying too, which is why he's always getting shat on. Just gives everyone in the cell block a cup. Give <laughs> Let them pee in it. Or poop. Like they get to decide. Do you have to pee or poop? You know what? Don't tell me. Here's a cup. Just do it. And then they all <laughs> pass it to either the guards or... Or the people that are in the cells next to him. Or in front of or him. Or in front of him, and they get to throw it. It's like a water balloon fight, where they're just, it's like, you know, like, food fight in the cafeteria? Nope. Piss fight. Piss fight in the jail cells. It's pretty funny. Who flung I, dung, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, who flung dung, man? What the fuck? He was the guard. He's literally covered in shit all the time. This guy must have had pink eye for the last 22 years of his life. Good. <laughs> Let him suffer. Just consistent pink eye. <laughs> I, I never got, leave. I hope they got some in his mouth. Also, I bet the nurses, when they're treating his pink eye, they just gave him placebos. <laughs> it doesn't actually do anything. They just gave him pills. I'm like, yeah, that should help. Yeah, he thinks that's going to cure his pink eye. <laughs> Disgusting old man. How old was he? He was 22. And right? then 44. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, he was 25 when he became a cop, and it was two years later that he was in jail. So 27, he died at 49. 22 years later, yeah. 49. Yeah. So I guess he was a disgusting old man. <laughs> He's covered Disgusting middle-aged man. He was covered, covered in doo-doo. In <laughs> oh no, it's the piss monster. Piece of shits deserve to be thrown shit. You know what? I bet his hell. (laughs) (laughs) What's his hell? I bet his hell is being turned into a piece of poop. And then he gets flung onto another version of himself. I was going to say he gets thrown onto himself. (laughs) And then his consciousness transfers to himself again. The human version. And it's just on loop. Yes. He is the poop. He is the poop. Being thrown at the piece of poop. (laughs) 
I was going to say, maybe they throw him at a pile of poop and they ask the pile of poop, how do you feel? <laughs> the poop feels dirtier. Yeah. Ew. Who threw fucking... Who threw Schaefer on me, dude? Ew. Uh. Dude, he's flinging Schaefer all over the place. Uh. That's their new That's their new word for poop. Yes. I like how this episode started with uh, missing child, happy day, he's back, and now it's ending with just... 20 minutes of talking about poop. (laughs) 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 I definitely think we had that going in the right direction. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to our poop rant. Uh, Yeah. And also, if you made it all the way through all of these, I applaud you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Congrats, guys. You now have more disturbing knowledge trapped in your skulls. Yeah, it's it's hard to sit through and listen to some of this stuff. So. You know, unless they're throwing poop at people. <laughs> I can sit through that. You know, Easy. <laughs> unless you wait till the end and you hear your two uh, hosts talking about throwing poop. shit at someone. <laughs> and then that person being thrown at shit. Yep, so. just straight dookie all the time. Uh, but straight yeah, shit. I think we're going to leave the episode here. So thank you guys for listening. Again, it's... It's been Oliver. And it's been Kit. It's been a pleasure. It's been a, an absolute blast talking about Cube Boy, the anti-hamster. It's been a Baja blast. <laughs> if you guys are listening on our website, you guys can always check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. All of the pictures that we were mentioning earlier, if you guys want to check them out, they are on Instagram. You can follow us at Creep Cottage. And uh, also, if you guys want to DM us there, you can. If you guys want to email us for questions, concerns, comments, suggestions, anything like that, you can email us at twistedmanner.sub. That's S-U-B at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. It's been a pleasure. We'll Um, see you guys next time. We'll see you guys later. Bye. 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 Bitch. Dimension Dark Productions. What the hell? (laughs) Ghost dog.